Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, where we drink beer and talk football. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Got another great show today. We've got more draft grades to get to, and today I grade the NFC East. And just like last week, I'll tell you each team's best pick and worst pick. I also have a great interview with Lester A. Wiltfong Jr., who covers the Chicago Bears for SB Nation. So be sure to stick around for that. But first, guys, the NFC East had some really solid drafts, but one team with a huge fan base is not going to like what I have to say about their draft class. So let's crack a cold one and kick this off. I'm going to start with a team that I thought had a really nice draft, and that's the New York Giants. Now, they had two top 10 picks because of that trade last year with the Chicago Bears when they traded up to get Justin Fields. That ended up being the number seven pick. Now, they had the fifth pick because of their overall record, but they had two huge opportunities to really upgrade this roster, and they crushed both these picks. At number five, they took Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, my number two ranked prospect in this entire draft. You guys who've been listening to the show, you already know how much I love this guy. I think he's better than Walker. I think he's better than Hutchinson. Not that those guys aren't going to be good. I like both of them, but I just think Thibodeau was easily the best pass rusher, the best defensive end, and the second best defender in this entire class. This is a steal at five. It's hard to get a steal at the number five pick, but they really did with this guy. There's not really any holes in his game. Not only can he rush the passer, but he's really good versus the run, which is something I don't think enough people have talked about when breaking down his tape, and it fills a huge need for them up front as well. This was just a great pick. Then at the number seven pick, they took Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal. Now, this was the second best offensive tackle in this class, but a lot of people had him actually ranked as the number one tackle. Him and Thibodeau are actually both guys that a lot of mock drafts and a lot of analysts legitimately thought could be in the mix for the first overall pick. That's how good these guys are. So to get those types of players, two of the best players at their position, at five and seven, also at key positions that the Giants really needed. This was just absolutely home run stuff for the Giants. Evan Neal is just huge. I mean, this guy is a monster. He's powerful. He moves well for his size. He's really good, especially as a run blocker. The Giants had a hole at right tackle. And with left tackle Andrew Thomas really starting to shine, they could now have bookend tackles for the next 10 years, I really like this pick. It makes so much sense. That offensive line 
has really been bad for the last several years for the Giants. It's something that desperately needs to be addressed, and they did it big time with this guy. And like I said, you could possibly have two franchise tackles now for several years to come. Whether it's Daniel Jones or another quarterback, doesn't really matter. That's a debate for a different day. But regardless, you got to build up front first, and the Giants are finally addressing an offensive line that has just desperately needed it. And I just think this was a great pick. Getting the guy of this value at seven, I never thought he would last until seven. I didn't think Thibodeau would last till five. So these were just home run picks. Really great job by the Giants early in this draft. Now, second round pick, Wandale Robinson, wide receiver from Kentucky. This wasn't as exciting. This was a big reach for me. I don't think anybody expected that he would be a second round draft pick. He's only 5'8". He's really limited to just being a slot wide receiver, more of a gadget wide receiver. He's fast. He's shifty. There's definitely things to like about his game, but In the second round where they took him, there were several, and I do mean several. I counted at least four, maybe five guys that were still available on the board at wide receiver that I think would have been a much better pick. So wasn't a huge fan of this one. It's not even that I necessarily dislike Wondell Robinson, just where they took him was not very good value. I think they could have waited another round or two, and he probably still would have been available. I I saw him as more of a third, fourth round guy. So in the second, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Didn't love that pick by any means. You look at the rest of this Giants draft, the middle to late rounds, not as good as those really home run picks early. They did have some solid picks. One guy that I really like is Cordell Flott cornerback from LSU, really athletic guy. I think he was a good value, and he's a guy that I think could be an impact player for them probably early on, maybe not day one, but I think he's a guy that's going to get some playing time early for them. Best pick, I think, was Kayvon Thibodeau. Like I said, the second best player in this entire draft, a guy that a lot of people thought would be in the mix for the first overall pick. Getting him at five was outstanding. Worst pick, you probably guessed it, Wondell Robinson. Not a bad player, just way too early in the draft to take him in the second round. Now, the Giants had a chance for this to be one of the highest graded draft classes in the entire NFL this year because of the way it started out. And look, the majority of the grade is going to be emphasized on those early picks because they're the most important, let's face it. So when you look at that, they crushed it completely out of the park. Like I said, middle rounds, later rounds, eh, not great, but some decent players in there. Overall, though, I'm giving them an A-. minus. It probably would have been an A if it wasn't for the Wandale Robinson pick. But all in all, this was just a great draft for the New York Giants. All right, let's shift gears to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, GM Howie Roseman traded a mid-first-round pick and a third-round pick for A.J. Brown. We've been factoring in these type of moves into the draft grade. This will be no different. Now, the Eagles have whiffed on some recent drafts at the wide receiver position. So I get it. Why roll the dice again on a rookie when you really haven't had a lot of luck there? Go get a proven veteran wide receiver. So I like that move by the Eagles. Now, they traded up to the 13th pick and took Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia. Now, look, this guy's a freak show athlete incredible size and speed combination. I had him just barely inside my top 25 big board. So at 13, I don't love it. Now we see it every year. A player flies up draft boards because of his combine, but his combine numbers 
really don't match the game tape. This is a guy who was surrounded by NFL players at Georgia, yet wasn't very productive. That's a red flag for me. We see these workout wonders. Every year it seems like there's one or two of these guys that has an incredible workout, and all of a sudden they get overdrafted. I think that's exactly what happened here with Jordan Davis. Now, look, I like him. Like I said, he was inside my top 25, but at 13, that's a little bit rich for me. I wouldn't have traded up to take him. If he lives up to his potential, sure, he could be great. Two or three years from now, we could look back, and this take could really be off base. This guy might just prove me wrong and become a heck of an NFL player. I think he has all the potential to. Don't get me wrong. I just... Like I said, when you're not a productive player and you've got NFL talent literally all over the field that you're playing next to and teams can't focus on just you because of all the talent around you and you still aren't productive, I don't know. That's a little bit alarming. But like I said, good player, just not the 13th best overall player, that's for sure. Now in the second round, they took center Cam Jurgens. From Nebraska, he's quick, he's pretty athletic, not ideal measurements, a little bit, he's got shorter arms, not the ideal build that you're looking for in the center at the next level, but this is a guy who has a lot of starting experience, and he's pretty strong, he's pretty strong at the point of attack, holds up well against bigger defenders, and with Jason Kelsey moving on in the near future here, this pick makes a lot of sense, they needed to address that position, I like Cam Jurgens. I think he's a really good player. So this is a good pick and a good fit for the Eagles as well. Now, a lot of people thought that N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia, would be a first rounder. I was not one of those people. I never bought into that narrative at all. Now, he's a good athlete. He's quick. He's explosive off the snap. He was a great, and I mean great, college linebacker. But he's undersized for an NFL linebacker, and he has medical concerns. He's only 5 foot 11, 228 pounds. Now, that just isn't going to cut it at the next level. I just don't think he has the size or the strength to be a dominant player at the next level. He's got short arms. He gets caught up in the wash way too often. Inconsistent tackler, especially in the open field. Now, in the third round, it's not a bad pick because he does have some big-time traits. He's a, he was a big-time leader for the Bulldogs, but... I'm not at all surprised that he slid into the third round. A lot of people have been making a lot about this pick. And, you know, a lot of people thought he'd be a first-round pick. Everyone during the draft was freaking out. How is N'Kobe Dean falling? I saw this coming a mile away. Like I said, when you break down his tape a little bit closer, you look at the measurables, you look at his size, you look at some of the negative things on tape, and you start to realize he might just not be an NFL linebacker. Now, he could totally prove me wrong because at the college level, this guy was great. But like I said, with the size and the medical and some of the things you see on tape, he gets overpowered by guys. You're talking about bigger, stronger, even faster offensive linemen at the next level. So there's some big red flags with Kobe Dean. But like I said, in the third round, really good value. Now, if somebody would have taken him in the first, I would have really blasted that pick. Even the second round might have been a little rich. But in the third Really good value because if he does pan out, it could be a home run pick. I think the best pick for the Eagles was Cam Jurgens, Just a really solid player. Good all-around center. And like I said, it's a position that they needed to fill. So I think that was a really solid pick by them. Worst pick, 
it's actually going to be Jordan Davis. I know, like I said, a lot of people are applauding that pick, and it's not that I dislike Jordan Davis. There's just no way I think he deserved to be a 13th overall pick, and they traded up to get him. So that also hurts the pick as well because there's even less value at that point. Now, once you factor in the A.J. Brown move like I talked about in the beginning and you look at this class as a whole, the Eagles had a nice draft. I'm not as high on Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean as most people. But like I said, that A.J. Brown move was really a savvy, great move by them. It bumps this grade up a little bit. I'm going to give him a B plus. I thought it was a really solid overall draft and offseason for the Eagles. All right, let's shift to the Washington Commanders. That still sounds weird coming off the tongue. But anyway, they moved back five spots in the first round, and they added a third and fourth round pick. Really liked that move because they were targeting a wide receiver, and to be able to move back and add additional picks, I'm always a big fan of that. At 16 overall, they took Jahan Dotson, the wide receiver from Penn State. This is a guy we haven't talked a ton about on this podcast. He's a really smooth route runner. I mean, really smooth. Him and Chris Alave from Ohio State, probably the smoothest route runners in this entire class. Gets in and out of his breaks because he's explosive, really good athlete. He can play outside or in the slot, a versatile guy. They desperately needed a number two wide receiver next to Terry McLaurin. So, so this pick made a ton of sense. I really like Dotson. Some people thought he was more of a late first, early second round guy. Probably where most people had him. But when you saw all those wide receivers flying off the board there in the first round, I don't blame them for getting the guy that they wanted instead of waiting and possibly not getting one of the top wide receivers that you were targeting. So I think it was a good pick, and it makes a lot of sense for what they're trying to do. Like I said, they desperately need a number two wide receiver. I mean, outside of Terry McLaurin, they just didn't have anybody to really fill that role. So this is a guy that I think steps in day one and immediately becomes a solid contributor for this offense. Now, I also like Fildarian Mathis, the defensive tackle from Alabama they took in the second round. This is a really complete player, really solid player, well-coached, as we know, coming from Alabama and Nick Saban. This is a guy who can really collapse the pocket. Big body guy, he's powerful, and he can defend the run as well. He can play in a two-gap scheme, athletic defensive tackle. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to get you a whole bunch of sacks, but like I said, a guy that can really collapse a pocket, put pressure on the quarterback, and he's going to be a run stuffer as well. Just a really solid player. I think he's going to add some nice depth to that defensive line. Now, they took Sam Howell, the quarterback from North Carolina in the fifth. To me, this was great value. Now, I don't love his game. I'm not a huge fan of Sam Howell, but this is a guy who flashed some talent. I never thought he'd go this late in the draft. He's a guy that's got pretty good accuracy, throws a nice deep ball. He's got decent mobility. His tape was a little up and down, but he's a pretty skilled quarterback. For a guy in the fifth round, I thought it was great value. And when you look at Carson Wentz, look, he's not the future for the Washington Commanders. This is a guy who's bounced around the league at an early age for a reason, and it's because Carson Wentz is garbage. I'm sorry, I said it last year when the Colts picked him up. I said it all throughout the year. I said it when he was in Philly. I had, I've been saying it basically this guy's entire career. He's just not a good quarterback. And I understand Washington going after him because they desperately need a quarterback. So maybe you get a guy like him hoping he can kind of put it together because he's still fairly young. But 
I think everybody knows at this point he's not the long-term solution. And so when you get a guy like Sam Howe, especially where they took him, I think he's just a low-risk insurance plan for Carson Wentz. And so I really like that pick. I thought it was a really smart pick by them. And a guy that, who knows, maybe even get some playing time this year with how reckless Carson Wentz is. We might see this guy sooner than later. I also wanted to note that seventh round pick Chris Paul, the guard from Tulsa, I thought this was a really good value pick. This is a guy that's got some real upside to his game. Surprised he was still available in the seventh round. So nice late round pick there. Best pick for Washington, I think it was easily Jahan Dotson. Just a really good player, explosive player. Like I said, at a position that they desperately needed. So I like that pick a lot. Worst pick was probably Brian Robinson Jr., the running back from Alabama. Now, he's a decent player, but I think there were better players available in the third round where they took him. So didn't love the value as far as that goes. I think he'll be a contributor, but I thought he was more of a fourth, fifth round guy. All in all, pretty solid draft class from the Washington Commanders. I'm going to give him a B-. minus. All right, that leaves us with the final team in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. I told you guys in the intro, there was one fan base that was not going to like what I had to say about their draft. Well, this is it. This is a team coming into this draft. They really needed to address the offensive and defensive line. At pick 24, they took Tulsa offensive tackle Tyler Smith. Now, he's big. He plays with a toughness and a tenacity that I really like. But the bottom line here is he's just not worthy of a first-round pick. This is a team that needed a guy in the first round. If you're going to take an offensive tackle in the first round, he needs to be a plug-and-play starter, not a developmental prospect. And that's exactly what this guy is. He's got sloppy footwork, poor hand placement. He gets caught holding way too often. He gets caught out of position way too often. His balance could be better. Now, maybe they move him to guard. There's been some reports that that could be what they do in year one here. But this was a big positional reach. I mean, maybe down the road he turns into a high-level player. Maybe he does develop. But I can't see it year one. I can't see this guy being an impact rookie year one. This is a guy that had no business going in the first round. And I just think it was a huge, huge reach by the Cowboys. Now, in the second round, they reached again. And this one was probably even worse because when they took Sam Williams, the outside linebacker from Ole Miss, now he's quick, he's athletic, but he's really just a third down player. And it's because he's terrible versus the run. I mean, terrible. He isn't strong enough to anchor down and play the run. He's going to get destroyed. I mean, destroyed versus NFL tackles. This is a guy that got bullied in the SEC. Most analysts had him graded as a fourth or fifth round pick, I have no idea what Dallas was doing taking him that early. I don't think anybody did. This one was really a head-scratching move. Now, if they liked him, and clearly they did, they could have waited a few rounds and found better value where they took him. I just hated this pick from Dallas. This was terrible. This is a guy that, just like I said with their first round pick, he had no business being taken in the second round. Didn't like it at all. Now, Jalen Tolbert, the wide receiver from South Alabama in the third round, he's a decent player, but once again, there were better wide receivers on the board. Guys like Romeo Dubs and Calvin Austin, these are guys that went a full round later, and I think both would have been better 
picks at wide receiver if you're going to go that route. So I didn't understand that pick either. They took Jake Ferguson, the tight end, in the fourth round. This was another bad pick. Isaiah Likely was still available. So was Chigazim Okokonkwu. Both were way better prospects. Both are guys that I think are better athletes, have way more upside. Isaiah Likely is probably the third or fourth best tight end in this entire draft, and you take Jake Ferguson ahead of him, a guy that screams backup. I didn't get that pick at all either. Now, when I broke down the Ravens draft class, and I told you guys it was the best draft class in this entire draft, it was one of the best drafts that I can remember in a really long time. And the reason I liked it so much is because when I went through the draft for them, I couldn't find any player, literally any player throughout that entire draft class that I didn't like the pick. I thought every one of their picks was outstanding value. I thought they were outstanding players, and they really fit the positions that they needed to fill. They just did an unbelievable job all the way through. This draft class for the Cowboys is literally the exact opposite. I can't even find a player in this draft class that I look at and I'm like, oh, that was a great pick or that pick makes total sense or man, what a steal. This was just reach after reach after reach and passing on all kinds of good players in the process. So if I had to go best pick, it'd probably be Deron Bland. The cornerback from Fresno State in the fifth round, 4440, six foot one, 202 pounds. He's got that ideal size that you're looking for. He's got good speed. He's really long. So he's the guy that I think has some really nice upside. And in the fifth round, that's probably the one place where I'm like, okay, I like that pick. Pretty solid. I think the worst pick has to be Sam Williams, though. The outside linebacker from Ole Miss. I mean, you're basically getting a guy that's only going to come in on third down because if you if you put him out there on first and second down on run situation downs, he's going to get pummeled. This guy is such a limited player. I just have no idea what they were doing taking him that early. I mean, bottom line, this could be the worst draft class this year. I felt like they just reached, like I said, on almost every pick. They passed over better players that were available, and it really compounds with what's been a really ugly offseason in Dallas. This was a big F for Big D. Terrible draft class. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played. At betteredge.com. Excited to be joined by Lester A. Wiltfong Jr., who covers the Chicago Bears. He's the editor in chief of SB Nation's Windy City Gridiron, the host of T Formation Conversation, the co host of Bear and Balanced, and check him out on YouTube at Second City Gridiron. Boy, you're a busy man, uh, Lester. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Brad. Anytime. Well, I'm excited to jump in here, talk some Chicago Bears with you. Like we just got to there on the intro, you're a guy that covers this team up close. I'm excited to get your takes on what's going on with the Chicago Bears. Let's start with the offense, Lester. Now, running back David Montgomery, he's been a productive back for the Bears, but it looks like from what I've read, Chicago's offense is moving more to an outside zone rushing attack. Yeah. How does Montgomery's skill set fit into that scheme, and what do you expect from him this season? You know, he was drafted when the Bears were running more of an inside zone scheme. 
Uh, he may be a better fit for like a gap scheme or a power scheme, but but honestly, he doesn't have the pure breakaway speed. But but he's quick enough. I mean, I think what what the Bears want to do is they're gonna they're gonna have a bunch of guys back there. You know, besides Montgomery, besides Herbert, they have a guy in the draft with uh, Trusted Abner. Um, you know, so they're gonna have a, of a committee. It still should be David Montgomery having the, the bulk of the carries. But, you know, like I said, he has enough speed to to hit that outside zone scheme. He just may not have the speed to, to take it to the house every time. Yeah, I could see that for sure. And it sounds like more of a running back by committee. So maybe a, a note for those fantasy players out there, uh, just to be aware of that, it sounds like, that they might be rotating some guys there at the running back position. So. I want to jump to the wide receivers group. The Bears wide receiver group lost Allen Robinson, as we know. They added Byron Pringle and some other pieces. But Lester, have they done enough to upgrade this passing attack alongside Darnell Mooney? That's the big question. You know, there are a lot of Bears fans have they have a lot of angst over what's going on with it with the guys they have at receiver. A lot of the guys that that cover the team from from a national perspective, they talk about how this may be the worst uh, uh, wideout core in the entire league. I can see that. I understand what they're saying is with, with Mooney's really the only guy that's established there, but they did bring him, like you said, Byron Pringle, who's probably going to play the, the slot for the Bears. You know, he was very productive in an offense in KC that had a lot of talent around him, so he didn't get a lot of chances. We'll have more chances in Chicago. Uh, they picked up Equinemius St. Brown from the Packers. Again, another guy that didn't have a lot of chances in Green Bay. He'll have more chances in Chicago. I think he should slot in as, as the starting X receiver. You know, then they picked up a couple guys in fantasy uh, recently, uh, Taze Sharp, Dante Pettis. These are more vet minimum guys. They're hoping one of these guys can stick and do something. Uh, they also have another guy, uh, David Moore. So they're through a lot of a lot of uh, uh, vet men type contracts. You know, at, at the group, hoping someone really sticks. And of course, the rookie Velas Jones Jr., third round draft pick. You know, four three speed, really big yards after the catch guy. So you know, they have some weapons here. They're not name weapons. But I think uh, the Bears are going to be okay. Is there anybody right now, I know we're early in the offseason process, but is there anybody from that group that you've seen or read that is kind of jumping out right now and maybe could jump into that number two option for them? Uh, right now, not really, because it's been kind of, I mean, the Bears have had some a couple OTAs. They had, they had rookie minicamp, but they are high on Bellis Jones Jr., the rookie. They talk about him. You know, they are not holding anything back. He, he's an older rookie. He's, he's 25 years old. So they are not going to treat him where he has to just have one, one main focus of a position. They're throwing him into the mix. You know, they want him to learn as much as possible. They have plans on using him. Uh, I don't want to say he's going to be like, like, like Debo Samuel, you know, but they have talked about he has some of that, that same skill set. So you're going to see them scheme him up some plays in the offense probably this, this coming up season. Yeah, and I'm sure Bears fans would love to see a young guy like him come along quickly and hopefully establish himself. Now, there were high expectations for tight end Cole Komet, the former second-round pick in 2020. He's a guy that certainly could help this passing attack, and we saw his targets jump from 46 in year one all the way to 89 last season. What do you expect from him in year three now in Luke Getze's offense? I think it'll probably be at the same. I mean, he had, I think, 60 catches last season, 500-ish yards. You know, he had no touchdowns, so I think the touchdowns are going to jump a little bit. You know, part of the reason is 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 on him. He wasn't open as much as he, that, he, that he should have been, but also the Bears targeted Jimmy Graham in the red zone so much as their tight end he was their go-to guy in the red zone Cole Komet didn't get a lot of targets in the red zone but his touchdown should go up a little bit 
you know, the Bears, again, they've talked about him in the offseason. They're high on him. You know, he, he came in in great shape. I know you hear a lot of people say, you know, this, he's in the best shape of his life. But the physical transformation, you, you see him, you know, he added some bulk. You know, he looks a bit stronger up top. You know, I think that's going to help him. You know, he's he was never the, the fastest guy, but he's fast enough. I think he, he's like a four six four seven guy, you know, at the Combine. So he's okay. His blocking is about average. But again, when he was drafted, he was 20 years old. He's going into his third season now. You know, the best football for Cole Komet should be yet to come. Yeah, and I think for Bears fans, they're hoping for that as well, to take that next step and hopefully become that red zone threat like you spoke of because he is. He's a big target and a guy that could really be a safety blanket for Justin Fields out there. Now, speaking of which, now we talked about the offensive playmakers. The big question, as we know, is second-year quarterback Justin Fields. He had some great moments last season, the games versus the 49ers and the Steelers come to mind, but his completion percentage wasn't great. He had some issues turning the ball over. We know he's talented, but where does he need to improve this season to really show Bears fans that he's moving in the right direction? It's those turnovers. I mean, he, I think, led the league in fumbles last season. You know, part of that is on him. Part of it is just the the pressure that he faced when he was in there. But that also leads to him holding the ball a little bit too long. I mean, he took quite a few sacks last year that were his fault. You know, he just he he wants to make the big play. He's looking downfield as much as possible. You know, that's something that is good to have in a young quarterback, but he has to learn when it's there and when it's not there. And I think that's part of what this offense will do for him because it is more outside zone. It's more, it's more of the stuff we've seen with, with Lafleur, with Shanahan, McVay, you know, there'll be a lot of bootleg action off it, more, more play action for him as well, which is some, an area where he thrived. So he's a great fit for this offense. And, you know, he, he's one of these guys that he has been nonstop working the entire off season. You know, he did this last year as well. He's just uh, he's all in when it comes to football. So it sounds like you've still got a lot of high hopes for him. It sounds like you think he is going to take that next step. And I like what you said about the offensive scheme because I think the running game and the play action will really benefit him. I like what you said there because that could really set him up for success, give him some easier reads, and really get him into a groove hopefully early in the year. So I I like that philosophy, it sounds like, that the Bears are going to be moving to. Well, he thrived last year in play action. He was one of like like the top five guys as far as the quarterbacks when it came to play action. But the Bears ran play action. They were, they were bottom five in the league, so they didn't run it very often. I could not understand why they didn't run it more because how good he was at it. So, but but this regime, you know, this scheme, it's it's a lot of play action. So we should see him be able to do what he does best. Yeah, I like the sound of that. And that really just has to fall on the coaching staff at that point. When you've got a guy, a young guy who's still developing, you got to lean on what he's good at, especially early. And so for them to kind of go away from something that he thrived at, well, quite frankly, part of the reason the coaching staff probably isn't there anymore. And and insert Matt Eberflus comes in this year as a new head coach, first-time head coach, a former defensive coordinator with the Colts, a defensive guy through and through. He was a hot name in the NFL coaching circles. Tell us about Matt Eberflus and what he brings to the organization. You know, he's saying all the right things. I mean, of course, we have to see it happen on the field, you know, but he's talking about building the offense around Justin Fields. He's talking about how the fact that he's a defensive-minded, you know, head coach, he can help Justin Fields, you know, understand defenses better. So, I mean, he's saying all the right things. You know, him and Ryan Poles, the the brand-new GM, they have a really good uh, working relationship so far. You know, they seem to be on the same page, whereas in years past with, with Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, it would seem like some of the guys that Ryan Pace would bring in for Matt Nagy, they didn't fit what he, what he wanted to do, whether in offense or defense. So, 
so far this offseason, they're bringing in guys that fit the scheme on the offense and defensive side of the ball. So I, I think with, you know, the Bears are heading in the right direction. The wins may not show it, you know, the first season, but I think down the road, this is the best thing for the Bears. Yeah, he's a guy that really was impressive as a defensive coordinator. It's going to be really interesting to see how he transitions into that head coaching role. But I like what you said there about the GM and the coaching staff. That's a marriage that really has to connect. And when there's a disconnect there, you're in for all kinds of turbulence because, like you said, you've got to get guys that fit the scheme and fit what the coach is trying to do. Otherwise, you're really just starting off on the wrong foot in general. So I like what you said there, and it sounds like the Bears are kind of turning this thing in a new direction. I like the sound of it. Now, the Bears used their first two draft picks on talented defensive backs and cornerback Kyler Gordon from Washington and safety Jaquan Brisker from Penn State, two guys that I really liked when I broke down the draft. Yeah. Now, Chicago's pass defense was pretty weak last season, so I like that they addressed it early in the draft with these two players. Tell us about them and how they fit into this defense. You know, most Bears fans hated both picks at, at the time. Because, of course, Bears fans wanted a receiver. They wanted a guy for right guard or for the O-line somewhere. Bears fans were thinking offense. And the fact that they took the, the top corner on their board and then the top safety on their board at the time, we're like, what's going on? But, like, the more you, like you said, the more you dive into the film, both these guys should be plug-and-play starters day one. You know, they're going to boost the, the, the corner and, and the safety spots, you know, immensely. You know, it's going to be a big help for what they want to do. And this, going into the brand new system, it's more of a zone-based scheme. And both these guys are going to thrive in, in, in that scheme. So hindsight tells us now these were great picks at the time. Although when it happened, you know, Bears fans weren't really – they weren't really all on board with these guys. Yeah, and I understand that because the O-line was seen as a weakness. You want to get your young quarterback weapons. But when you look at that secondary and how much they got shredded last year, it totally makes sense to go after some guys, like you said, that should be plug-and-play starters and difference makers right away. And so I like those picks. I like them a lot. And Kyler Gordon especially is a guy that I followed closely and was really high on in this draft. A lot has been made of his teammate, Trent McDuffie, who's a really good player. You know, he was kind of getting a lot of the praise. He was. As, the, you know, one of the top cornerbacks in this draft, and rightfully so. But I think because of that, Kyler Gordon got a little bit overlooked because this guy is a big-time athlete with big-time traits, and I think he's going to be a really good one for them. I also, like I said, I like Jaquan Brisker a lot as well. So I think they're going to be difference makers for the Bears now. We talked about the offensive line, but the Bears addressed the O-line. They didn't do it early like Bears fans might have wanted, but they did draft a decent amount of offensive linemen in this draft. Is there anybody in this group that really stands out to you? You know, I, I like their first two guys they picked. Zachary Thomas, a, a left tackle. I think he may end up sliding into right guard for the Bears. I think he's going to be in the mix there to start. I mean, the way they have the, the OTAs are running – uh, they were having last year's center Sam Must forget those those first team right guard reps with Dakota Dozier who came over for the Vikings, and then anyone that follows the Vikings knows Dakota Dozier. Two years ago, started every game. He was their worst lineman. Last year in Minnesota, he was on the practice squad. So this is not a guy that Bears fans want starting. Sam Mustafer at right guard, you know, as a center, he had his issues. That right guard is going to have some issues as well. So. You know, we'll see what happens there, but it looks like Zach Thomas has a good chance to at least, you know, get in the mix there at right guard. Um, but I also like uh, Braxton Jones. Uh, he played some some left tackle again in college. He may be in the mix at, at left tackle for the Bears. They have Larry Borm, you know, signed up right now where he looks like he should be the starter there, uh, uh, last year's uh, fifth-round draft pick out of Missouri. 
than the other guys that got kind of uh, – they should be in the mix for a bottom of the depth chart spot. But, but we'll see what happens, how it shakes out, because like, like you said, they got four guys on day three. I think all four could make the, the roster because the Bears need help at that spot. Yeah, and this was such a deep draft, and especially for offensive linemen. There were some really good players that went later than most expected. And Zachary Thomas is a guy that I like, too. And he's also a guy that really fits that zone scheme. Yeah. So I think from that standpoint, he'll be a perfect fit. And I like what you said. He's also a really versatile player. Played multiple positions on the offensive line. So he's a guy that you can move around in a pinch and I think could be a very serviceable uh, offensive lineman for that group. So I like that analysis for sure. The Bears made they made a point to draft really good athletes on O line because they, they you talked about they want to go to the to more of a outside zone run scheme so they need those athletes and and that's where all the guys they picked they all fit the, the athletic profile that that the Bears want so like Troy said I think all four of these guys could be in the mix to make the make the roster yeah definitely and I I think for Bears fans they would love to see an infusion of young talent come in and upgrade this group because we just talked about this young franchise quarterback. They've got to find a way to protect him. But I think like we spoke about earlier, if they can get this zone running game going and be more of a run first team and set up the play action, give Justin Fields some easier reads and kind of maybe get him rolling in and out of the pocket a little bit and kind of really try to utilize his skill set a little better than, like we said, the last regime did. Maybe we could see a jump from Justin's fields and, and a big improvement for the Bears. So that brings me to my last question here, Lester. The Bears' season win total will be what? I'm thinking maybe six or seven. I mean, I, I, I think they may look better from a scheme standpoint on offense and defense, but I'm not sure if the wins will translate in this first season here. But as Bears fans, you know, we should enjoy what we see. You know, there are some holes on, on at, at, at right guard still. The receiver core, you know, they have to prove something. You know, but the defense should be tough. Uh, the offense, you know, is going to be uh, really methodical in the run game, we hope. And that should play into what Justin Fields wants to do. And then if Justin Fields gets rolling, who knows what's happened. But my best guess is seven wins. I like it. And you know what? I think for Bears fans, if they can get to that 6-7 win mark and they see improvements from the young quarterback, they see some of these young guys take a step forward. Like you said, they see the scheme and they kind of see some improvement. Even if they're not getting a lot of W's in the win category, if if they're moving in the right direction and the coaching staff looks like they're doing a nice job with this team, I think Bears fans realistically are going to have to step back and be happy with that because that's really what they want to see here with this new staff and a lot of new players just taking that step forward because you've seen some stories about how uh, I think it was ESPN had something about their FPI had them as the worst team in the league and this and that. I don't, I just don't really buy into that. I don't think this roster is as bad as some people are making it out to be. And like you said, with some of the changes and some of the improvements they've made, yes, they've got some holes like you pointed out, but I think there's enough talent and, and I like some of the things we talked about with the scheme and some changes, I think this team is going to take a step forward and people and bears fans are going to be really happy with the results this year. There's a lot of things that have to happen right for these bears. I mean, they have a, a, a first year play caller in Luke Getze, you know, the, uh, Justin Fields has to take a step, you know, there's some positives here, you know, Ryan Pace left this team with, you know, 50 ish million in dead cap for the season. And, and Ryan Poles is basically saying, you know what, let's just, you know, uh, we'll bite the bullet this first year. But then next offseason, they're going to have you know well over a uh, hundred million in cap space. They'll have all their draft picks, you know, for the first time in a long time. So, you know, if they show the strides, then next offseason they'll make some moves and to really bolster this team moving forward. 
I love it. Yep, I love it. And that's that's something that a lot of people haven't talked about is that dead cap space and some of the mistakes that Ryan Pace made as the GM. It was time for some change in Chicago. I think Bears fans have got to kind of embrace the change and hope that, like we said, maybe the wins aren't there right away. But it sounds like the future could be bright for the Chicago Bears. It has been absolutely awesome getting your perspective today. Once again, we've been joined by Lester A. Wiltfong Jr., who covers the Chicago Bears for SB Nation's Windy City Gridiron, the host of the T-Formation Conversation, the co-host of Bear and Balanced, and check out his YouTube channel once again at Second City Gridiron. Lester, thanks for coming on the show. Great stuff today. Sounds good, Brad. Anytime. That's going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.